Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by Swine Tech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by the National Pork Board, Johnsonville Foods, High Pork Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, Fibro Animal Health, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and PigEquipment.com. Brought to you by American Resources. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Roder, your host for today's episode. Today, we're going to talk about Digital Farm and Technology Insights with David Speller. Thank you for joining us today, David. No, good to be here, Matthew. I'm excited to talk about this topic because people is a huge component, but so are technologies. And in this episode, we're going to bring the two together. When we think of technology, we hear so many things in our industry about it replacing people, helping us get rid of the person. And when I look at other industries like healthcare or manufacturing, it's done that, but there's not a caregiving component. In animal agriculture, there's a caregiving component. And healthcare has used technology to enhance its people as opposed to replace them. When you look at animal agriculture and you look at agriculture as a whole, how do you think through that intersection of technology and people? And what is it really more about? Yeah, you're absolutely right in that within manufacturing, there's no emotive side to it. There's not animal welfare. There's, uh, you know, it's a function and you can automate and we think of technology for a I think the difference when we come into farming livestock, whether that's pigs, poultry, cattle, whatever it might be, is there are some very different elements. And it's also a process that you can only go so low with removing people. If we're talking about people on farm, you you are going to need some people for some tasks. Um, And so, therefore, it's not about removing people. We think it is, but there's a lot more to it when we scratch the surface. So when you think about technology and you break down how it really is about the people, it's touching everything, isn't it? It's touching the people on the farm and it's touching a whole lot more. How do you think through helping people as opposed to replacing people as you, as you, as you explore technology? Yeah, we, we find within our, our world and that both as a poultry farmer in the UK, but with our digital business around around the world that a lot of it is the emotional side of it is down to peace of mind now that might be peace of mind as a farmer wanting peace of mind that i'm maximizing my profit potential i'm giving the best conditions to my animals um i'm making sure that my staff are supported and competent and you know get some respite maybe where if they're in barn two or 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 shed two that the the barn one's being looked after by some technology but then it changes through as you go up the supply chain. So as you move into the supply industries, they want to know their equipment, their vaccines, their nutritional products are working properly. And then you're moving up through into processors, integrators that want to know what's going to arrive with them. And you can go all the way through the chain into retail brands, food brands, which want some confidence and peace of mind that the supply chain is doing all it can underneath them. 
financial, but some of it's also emotional. How do you, so it's financial, it's emotional. How do you factor in when not replacing a person or not directly impacting throughput, but when you're providing technology that enhances people, creates comfort, increased yeah. competency, and yeah. we reduce time to productivity. How do you, how do you communicate that value? And even more so outside of how you communicate that value, how is a producer or a business owner supposed to process that and evaluate where it sits on their list of priorities? Yeah, really, really good, good topic. And, and without going in, it's almost political answer. Well, it's different things to different people, <laughs> but you know, when you really want to, to try and nail it down, um, a lot of it is, you know, try and try and give me information that I wouldn't have otherwise. You know, for, for my own life, it sort of kind of started on a journey of I was told to ventilate my barns at a certain rate, but no one could tell me why beyond. Well, that's what we've always done. So I use technology to try and inform me so that either I could support what I was being told to do or I could discover that actually there was a more precise way to do it. So you can you can use it for that type of thing. You can use it for, um, you know, I think some of our lifestyles are possibly changing and it may not be the farmer themselves, but maybe their wider family or as they have children, their demands, but the demands socially on us as farmers and, and farming business owners starts to change where maybe we are expected by our family to join them for a meal at the weekend with the family in the town. Or maybe we are expected to go to the soccer game or whatever and watch our children play sport when previous generations would have simply gone, can't do that because I'm busy with the animals. And there's this sort of slight trade-off then of, well, is there a scope to get some technology that, that maybe would allow me the peace of mind again thing to to go and spend time with the family and and try and fulfill their needs as well as you know the business needs um and and try and make it a more sustainable relationship between you the business owner and the business but it is a it is a fine line and and then you get on very quickly to the topic around how do you interact with that technology and get the technology interacting with you and i think we've struggled a little bit with that generally and if I think how quickly my young children, when they were younger, adopted touchscreen iPads, heck, you know, they didn't need to have a training course. They just found it intuitive. They just got on with it. Whereas a lot of the technologies and digital solutions and precision farming technologies coming out, you know, they're a lot more sophisticated and you, you have to try and understand them a bit more. So we don't find a seamless way to interact with the technology as farming businesses. Now, I'm excited to break that down a bit further, but before we do that, I'd really like for you to give us a little introduction to your background. What do you do today? How did you get involved in agriculture? Okay. Um, so a whirlwind trip, if I started it, is I do not come from a, a farming family. My, my parent was actually, uh, parents were, we had uh, trucks hauling animals around. But I was used to chasing pigs on and off lorries. That was my sort of childhood. Uh, I thought I wanted to be a farm manager growing crops and uh, sitting in an air-conditioned cab listening to the radio. I did that for a while, started to get bored. I then decided to go off and uh, be an auditor. So I used to trek the world. I used to come over to the U.S. there and visit the apple growers and tell them whether or not I thought apples could come to Europe, which uh, was quite entertaining. I uh, did that 
and then really saw a chicken farm for sale uh, in the local newspaper back home. So I thought, never done it before, never been in a chicken shed, never worked on a chicken farm. But it's cheap and, uh, you know, it can't be that difficult. Surely you give them food and water and they grow. <laughs> That's about it. And uh, I'd love to say that was true. <laughs> Clearly it wasn't. Uh, it was way more difficult. Uh, and so at that point, I borrowed a lot of money, redeveloped the farm, got into financial difficulties. Um, the only way of surviving was to be the best. And I used some technology to give me the information to allow me to be the best. Um, from there, expanded my business, um, not by buying properties, but by helping others run their businesses. And then really came up with this idea of I seem to have an ability to look at numbers and technology and data and relate that to my experiences with those animals. Therefore, I could perceive in my mind what the animal felt like if the temperature sensor told me that. Even though it might be eight hours drive away, I could relate to it. And that, that business sort of grew out from there um, and is now known as, as Optifarm. And really, we got approached by some, some large companies to, to put investment into us and take it around the world where today we connect to poultry and swine properties around the world every so many minutes, 24 hours a day with people and technology, and we're trying to understand the why. And we do that because we understand animal psychology, animal behavior as farmers, as well as having a great digital team that know algorithms and, you know, artificial intelligence. So I've kind of moved from right through the chain, still have a farming business, don't get to go on the farm so much myself anymore, spend most of my life, you know, talking to great people like you, trekking around the world, um, and, uh, yeah, seeing how we can help farming businesses, really. So breaking down this topic around people and technology and agriculture, one really nice thing about the podcast, and I think the listeners, our listeners understand that don't always mistake what I'm saying is for what I, what I believe, right? It's about expanding yeah. our thought. It's about, yeah, expanding our thinking and thought. So. Yeah. When we look at the idea of innovation and growth and bringing technology into agriculture, whose fault is it? Like, why are we not seeing a mass uptake? Are innovators not taking the time to appropriately understand their customer or the problem? Are producers not interested? Is the industry sat oversaturated with big companies that kind of diffuse innovation by not allowing the smaller ones to come up? Is it vice versa? Are we failing too much with smaller new ideas? Are we bringing things to, to customers before they're truly ready? There's a onslaught of things here. And I know this is a very yeah. deep topic and we have yeah. some time for it. Yeah. Why? Why is there no mass uptake in animal agriculture of technology? Or why has it been so hard? Um, there are, I, I believe, and, and this is my personal view, and, and look, I hope this suits your podcast. It sounds like it will, but I like to sort of challenge the norm. I like to be a little bit, uh, you know, devil's advocate, as we would say, and, and yeah. get, get the brain, the brain thinking. I mean, you, some of the, some of the uh, less contentious reasons are that I would personally believe for a while each tech company believes their one solution is the answer. Yeah, we're just starting to see now, and we have the conversations with our own business, how we are one piece of the jigsaw. And if we can go with other technology providers and come with a package, then maybe three, four 
coming together can then help somebody solve a problem. But there aren't very many, if any, technologies that by themselves will come in and solve the problem without creating a new one. And so I think that's um, that's one of the the challenges. I think, and that, and that probably builds on a multifactorial component of if the producer isn't going to adopt quickly, let's say, and companies yeah. want to do it all themselves. Well, then those companies are going to run out of money before they actually achieve the promised land or the idea that actually fulfills what the producer is looking for. Like you can't sustain a business without customers. And if the customers want the whole package, you need to work with others. Yeah. And, and it's not, as we know, farming animals in, in, in one state of the U S or just across the U S every farm will have a slightly different problem. Um, as we work around the world, every business has slightly different commercial terms with their customer. Therefore, what makes them money and doesn't make them money is not the same. On it. So if you've only got one technology that you think will solve all the problems, then unless that's an incredibly flexible technology, yeah. it doesn't. But by bringing together five or six and mixing those five or six in different ratios, there's the potential to meet the needs of East Coast Canada, Africa, you, you've got more options. And I think that probably the technology sector does struggle to accept and cope with the variability of physical variability, of course, but also the business variability. You know, for our business model, we very much start with a client saying, what makes you money? If I don't understand your contract with your customer, how am I supposed to give you a service to make you money? It's a very intimate question. But actually, yes. how many tech companies get into that conversation before they start telling you about this amazing camera or this amazing piece of software? Um, yeah, I think that is one of the reasons why we also need to start to mix them up a, a little bit more and bring together different solutions. And it'll be this three over here, but it might be a different three over there. And, and you'll mix and match a bit more. So you hit on it a little bit there, but I want to hit two sides. Yep. What... And you, you might just repeat what you said, yep. but what can technology companies do to help producers and what yep. can producers do to help technology companies? Um, so technology company point of view, one of the things is um, we probably need to be um, open-eared and mindful of what's the best way for both the customer, the farmer of ours and us to survive financially with whatever we're proposing. I think there's a, the, the, in simple terms, from a platform where everyone sells you something. So, you know, you would buy a piece of software and they put it on your computer in the farm and off you go. Now everything's moving subscription-based. Um, but then the, the farmers view that as, oh, hang on a minute, I'm tied into something. That means I'm going to pay twice as much. I'm not sure I like that. So I think the, the tech companies, there, there is a whole piece around how do we pay for this? Are you going to pay up front? Are you going to pay longer term? Are you going to pay with the results of that technology? And those questions don't ever seem to get resolved. And I think they, they do need to get resolved. I think from the farming point of view, it would be nice for me, and I'm a farmer and a tech company, to see the role reversed in that it's not me, the tech company, trying to tell you something. I would like to hear from you, what do you want to spend money to solve? 
we in the tech world think we've got all these great solutions because we think we know your problems and we think by looking at the numbers we understand why you would want to spend money with us mm-hmm. but actually it'd be really nice to have it where someone's coming to us going this is a problem this is what i'm willing to spend to solve it can you help me solve that problem for that amount of money and then you go right brilliant yes i can or no i can't um and i think that that would be really nice our uh our customers this might be even broader but do you think producers if we did it that way would would really put forward the right or honest number not calling farmers not honest or customers not honest but at the end of the day like what would i pay for this well i'm probably going to get you what i'd like to pay for this how do you navigate that whole situation as a I mean, it almost feels like you're negotiating before something even exists. And I can totally see from a company standpoint and from a customer standpoint, it almost turns it into a negotiation to figure out what is the truthful thing. And and you're dealing with fairy dust, right? Like if this hypothetical thing ever existed, what would I pay for it? It's it's a hard conversation. It is is a hard conversation, but I think actually, and you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to necessarily shoot myself. Here, but, you know, can you honestly tell me that every tech company goes with a recommended retail price to every customer and doesn't shift? Yeah. Yeah, that isn't the real world either. You know, the real world is I really want this business in this region. I'm not going to do it for a loss, but there's a difference between what I think it's worth to you as a customer and I think I can charge and you'll be happy to pay. And I think if you just roll, roll reverse and go the other way around, then you as a tech company have an option to then say, well, look, Mr. Farmer, Mr. Customer, if you're saying – This is what I'm willing to pay to fix it. And I don't think I can fix it for that amount of money. Do you know what? I'd be better off knowing that now than spending two years lobbying you, thinking that one day you're going to take this when you're not. And if I go, Mr. The farmer then goes, oh, hang on a minute. I did want that. And heck, I've underbid. I should have gone another $10. Then leave it such that they can ring you back and go, come on, we all live in the real world. I was trying to negotiate. Don't walk away. Let's let's yeah, let's come to a figure. So I think I don't think it's that different to how we are now. It's just that we as tech companies are so desperate to share what we are so passionate about. And we firmly believe we can make a difference and make money for these customers of ours, that we're the ones that are keener to get out there and have the conversation than the guys at the other end going, I've actually got this problem that's hemorrhaging me a lot of money and I need someone to come in here and plug that hole. That's a good point. I mean, you brought up the idea of different business models too. And it feels like our industry, and I'm speaking the swine industry right now, and I'd, I'd say it feels like they've been burned on subscriptions Yeah. because it stands for software as a service. Yeah. And usually it's just software as a product. Yeah. <laughs> service yeah, tends yeah, yeah, to yeah. Uh, fall off. Yeah, And whether that's funding or poor planning or poor business management, I think a lot of producers have subscribed to things and they don't get anything out of it. And yeah. there's a com- there's a collaborative advantage to SaaS because yeah. as a producer spending money, you are an ongoing strategic partner with that company to identify what is the highest priority thing that we should be investing our dollars into improving. It's almost like government taxes, right? Where do we want our tax dollars going? Yeah. I don't want to actually, I don't want to compare subscription to taxes because it's a positive thing and not a negative thing, but yeah. Yeah. 
it's collaborative. It's supposed to be an advantage for both parties. That's the, that's the, the blessing of a yeah. SaaS company. But when you no yeah. longer provide the service, it becomes the curse of a yeah. SaaS company. Yes. And I think, I think you're, um, you're dead right. I mean, for us, we are a service. So therefore we are subscription because actually we felt people can turn it on and off. It gives them more freedom and we are in touch with them with people and technology. So it, it's slightly different to, you know, paying for my Microsoft 365 account and I pay, you know, $8 a month or whatever it is when I convert it. Um, and then I think, well, I'd have been better just paying for it outright. So I think if on the subscription model, you definitely need to have a relationship. You definitely need to be connected and it needs to be a partnership, maybe more than just outright selling. But I think there's also, you know, there's a wider topic about, you know, if it's something to be deployed on the farmer pays for it. And that doesn't mean that the farmer doesn't have to necessarily pay anything if it's solving a problem, but how can we share the benefits? And I don't just mean the classic everyone saying, oh, well, you know, we'll take the farm data, pay the farmer because we used his data to get some new learning. But actually, what about everybody learning at the same time? Um, there are other there are other models to try and get someone to sponsor that bit of equipment. But I think the other thing with some of the some of the subscription type idea is a lot of this technology is not ten year proven. Therefore, there is also a need for maintenance and upgrades and and some of that. So I think that's why some of those models are also in there. So it is a it should be a path to a strong partnership. But of course. Hey, look, if someone wanted to come to me and say, I'm going to pay up front for a three-year service in a lump sum, here's the money now, fine, I'll take it, and I'll put yeah. it in the bank, and I'll draw it from that account to my subs account every month, and I'll take your money up front, no problem at all. So I think Absolutely. You, you're possibly right in that we, we think as technology, oh, no, we're being friendly to the farmer or the customer, and maybe for those farming businesses, it's a real turnoff because they've been burned. They don't, you know, until the relationship's there, they don't trust that the relationship's going to be there. They don't trust there's a service after they've started handing over their money. Um, so I think you, you're dead right. We, we should be flexible. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether you're in the farming business or the tech business can live on zero margin. We all have to make a living to be here. And if there's a value in us keeping the customer going because they're paying us and then keeping us going because they want what we're supplying, then everyone has to accept there's a margin in it. And of course, no one's doing it for free. Yeah, and I think it's important for tech companies to understand the cash flow norms of their segment of agriculture. Like if we look at, yeah. I, I throw out Northwest Iowa, uh -huh. it's a very cash rich environment of farmers. It's yeah. just part of their the culture up there, and just this is the way it is. And there's businesses on on that are more commodity driven, like pork and poultry, versus versus yeah. other more specialty crops and. It's possible that the cash management of those segments are very different from one another, and it's very possible the regions are very different from one another. So there probably has to be a good amount of research and thought that goes into what business model makes the most sense for me, and not yeah. just my business, but in each area I'm operating as a business. Yeah, yeah, I, th I think so. I mean, you know, for me, when I got into poultry, the main reason for that was 80% of my cash flow was managed by my customer. You know, I'm not paying for my chicken food until they pay me for my birds. So yeah. you know, we run on a very, you know, big cash turnover, high volume commodity type business. But on the other hand, the cash flow demand is far, far less than when I was farming crops with a much lower turnover. 
So, you know, it is a matter of finding what works for, you know, for, for either party. And I think there should be flexibility around that. But as long as everybody accepts that at the end of the day, no one can do anything for nothing. And whether I split that fee into 12 months for you, whether I give you it once per year, whether I you know, give you it per sow, whether I finished pig, you know, I can do it any which way you like. But to be honest, the number's still going to be the same, just divided by a different metric. And I think it's great for producers to, to think about it this way. The technology company or the company in itself is, one, trying to make, make a viable, successful business, but two, trying to appeal as best as possible to what they need. And yeah. the way you pay for something... Nobody wants that to be a barrier of, of solving the problem. And so there, there is a good amount of flexibility on, on how do we look at paying for something. And if, if you have a company that is, is sitting on a lot of cash, well, yeah, maybe there is a way to spread it out. If you have a company that's sitting on hardly any cash, maybe they need it up front. But yeah. that conversation is just as much of a collaboration as any. If the producer yeah. needs the cash flow and the technology company doesn't, that's an easy yeah. Easy conversation and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. And you bring about an interesting point that I often think when I look at my digital business, chip that I want my clients to have with us as a digital business is probably far more intimate than the relationship I would expect them to have with someone who's selling them diesel for their tractors maybe. Because it does need to be that sort of partnership, not just about payment terms, but about what is your problem, about what makes you money make you money or didn't I make you money about, you know, is my tech working for you? They're very close partnerships where the strongest bonds are with the businesses we work with. It's not just a, you know, drop it at the gate and drive away type relationship. Yeah. Your guy selling you diesel isn't going to be asking you. So how do I make this just a little bit better for you? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's just a very different type relationship and, you know, I don't see that the successful tech ones necessarily should just be a, there we are, I've uploaded it on your system or I've installed something within your facility and, you know, off you go, you know, ring me when you want a spare part. I think there's a lot more involved than that is how it is. And I suspect, I don't know, but I suspect even when you go into manufacturing, they're very much like that. I suspect they remain connected to the technology provider as regards maintenance or training of operators or whatever it might be, upgrades, I think that remains quite an intimate relationship. What do you think some red flag, if you're working with a technology company, mm -hmm. and I didn't talk to you about this one prior, so this might catch you off guard a little bit, <laughs> but what are some red flags if you are a producer working with a tech company? If if you see X, Y, what are some red flags of a technology company that, that isn't collaborating well with their customer? Um, so I think it, naturally I'm wary when people are kind of, you know, doesn't matter what your problem is. I've not asked you what your problem is. I can solve it. You know, mm -hmm. I know your industry. I can solve your problems. And you think, hang on a minute, you know, that can't be true. Um, yeah. I think that's a red flag. Um Here's a slightly contentious one from me, um, is that I would say there's a little bit of a red in the tech company, either itself or its 
overlord slash governing partner is too big, I would say beware, not because what you gain in, in likelihood that they're still here in 10 years, you lose in speed because big companies can't work as quick. So you get this real trade-off of, in some ways, I would, you know, I, you could think, well, beware of the startup who's only got two employees and you're only their second customer. But yeah. to be honest, you're unlikely to make them that key to your business straight away that if they fall over, you're suddenly out of business. So those guys are really innovative. They're really fast thinking. They're very adaptable. Once you start to look at the innovation coming from the real big companies, they have fantastic products. But then I kind of sometimes see there's limitations on how quick they can bring out the new innovation or adapt to a specific need of a company. So I think, you know, it's a surprising one that I'm almost advocating. Look for the slightly smaller one that you can have the really good relationship with or in the bigger brands, look and be satisfied that what they've got is meeting 90, 95% of your needs now because the reality is they can't adapt as fast as something small. And what we're seeing that's really, really great is the big guys are linking up and doing things like with us. You know, we have investors in, in us like Agco have invested in us. That enables us to bring our stability to a big brand. And that's a really interesting relationship when you can do that. That that is a great way of putting it uh, when when you're looking at looking at it from both sides. It's it's got to be challenging. I mean, when yeah. I look at it from a startup perspective, not letting our customers down is a yeah. heck of a motivator. I mean, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of other motivators, but that that is that might be one of the the strongest motivators. Is I am not going to be that company, yeah, who failed and has left somebody hanging. Yeah, and I can't imagine how challenging that would be as a, a producer to be like, well, am I willing to give up because, yeah, what's the risk tolerance? So it's a good point. Yeah, yeah. and it's um, yeah, there are a number of other. I mean, when I get asked, yeah, I might not get asked the question around what is the specific technology, but take something quite what we deem now as relatively simple: a controller for a for a barn. Yeah, and I, as I go around the world, people often come up to me and say, oh, you know, you work with all of them, blah, blah, blah. Which one do you think's the best? And actually, my response is normally, well, who gives you the best service? Who do you like? You know, because there's still that whole relationship that's really, really important. You want to know that they're going to go the extra mile. They're going to dig deep. They're going to be there on Sunday when you need them. More than, well, I love this thing that's over here, but by the way, the nearest service engineer is two flights away. Yeah, that's that's going to cause you some problems at some point. Yeah, when you bring up controllers, that was actually... So Maximus is one of the success stories in our industry. When we look at acquisitions and really taking yeah. ag tech to a, another level, Maximus is one that did accomplish that. And early on in, in their growth, that was what everyone was saying. Their support is so good. Yeah. And they just talked about how likable the people were they worked with and how much, how much they were willing to do to help. And, and you looked around and, and you could see that the companies that were going that extra mile to provide a high level of support were the ones who were growing faster. They didn't necessarily have to have a better product, yeah. but the kind yeah. there was a trust component. Yeah. And I think, um, 
I think trust is a massive thing. You, it's classically what they will, you know, the same things. But, you know, if you start looking at, well, how do I sell to somebody? Trust is one of the biggest things that, that it's about, whether it's trust in the brand, trust in the individual, whatever it is. But I think also what's really important there, what you're highlighting is, let's face fact that if you are an individual who is farming livestock and you love to spend your time with your animals, what are the chances that you love understanding the installer settings on a control panel or on a robot or on a piece of software (laughs) or anything else? You know, that's highly remote. There are some instances But what I can say from what I've employed personally, the guys that love the tech can very easily fall down because they forget to go and look at the animal at 7 a.m. They're so busy looking at the numbers and the tech that they forget to just go and check they've got food or, you know, put the head in the door and check the lights are on. And, uh, and, And so the reality is the mindset, personality and desire of a person who gets their satisfaction from caring for their animals is not the same person who necessarily wants to sit in a classroom, learn the ins and outs of a control panel and not require support, which is why I I would suspect what you're saying about Maximus worked because it allowed the guys who want to do the animals, do the animals. And when I need to know about the tech, I'll ring the tech company and they'll do the techie bit. And that is exactly what we do, whether it's for Maximus panels, whether it's for CTB, any of the panels, APs, all of them, you know, we do exactly the same, just we do it agnostically, and, and it totally does work. And I think the other point that I'll raise, if I may, is, you know, we're talking about people, and, and in a lot of my presentations on stage, I will go through and through and through and take people on all these wonderful things that are coming, vision recognition, smart cameras, all this stuff, and then you get to the end and go, actually, don't forget. Because there's people inventing the tech. There's people writing the code for the AI. There's people designing the dashboards that are then getting presented to you. So actually, there are more people involved in putting that tech together than people probably realize. Great points. Great points. Thank you for taking the time to dig a little deeper into the topic of technology. I've had individuals come on to talk about the cameras and the sensors and everything else that comes with it, but it's about the people. Even when it comes down to the transaction and the relationship that goes on thereafter. Yeah. If you could, one thing I like to do when I wrap up are a couple things. I like to ask the question, what is something about you that most of your colleagues do not know? Uh, um, My colleagues probably don't know how many sleepless nights I have. I probably am seen as a little more carefree than maybe I am sometimes. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> what about a golden nugget, a life, a life wisdom or learning that, that you can share with listeners? Um, and actually, I don't mind sharing something that's very personal to me. It's very intimate to me. Um, and that is um, I learned when I was young, so when I was in my early 20s, I, I lost my, my parents. And I turned that into a very positive, as really don't put off tomorrow, you know, what you want to get on and do today in a way that don't be crazy and don't, you know, don't, don't overstretch it. But on the other hand, you know, if, if I want to do something, achieve something, I, you know, I don't believe in can't. I only believe in I don't want to. It really annoys my children 
because they say things like you can't jump into a volcano and I say well you can you might just die but you know <laughs> it, that is kind of how I look at it you know there's no such thing as I can't do that because I've got to no no you can you just got to get on with it but yeah that's a sort of golden nugget I suppose get on with it get on with it no such thing as can't only don't want to well thank you David for joining the popular pig podcast it's been a pleasure to have you on here today no, not at all thanks Matthew it's a pleasure Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com.